Welcome to Fuji Love. This is the show that is all about the Fujifilm X-Series and GFX cameras, but more importantly, it's about the photographers who love to use them. I'm Mark Sadowski, and this show is brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, whether it's news, interviews, and so much more, head on over to fujilove.com. Subscribe today. And now, on with the show. all my overseas workshops for 2021-2020-2021 had to be uh, cancelled which which was not great Um, you know it's a a part of the business that I really enjoy I enjoy the teaching I enjoy the traveling and and it's a big part of the business Um, but you know and, and that was quite tough but as with all these things, you know, there's always there's always ways out. There's always a silver lining to the to the COVID cloud. And um, what I found was that Zoom came in. You know, it was it was absolutely um, a lifesaver, really, because I got in quite early and um, got in on the bandwagon of doing lots of talks. I already did do talks to camera clubs in the UK, but of course, it was all face to face, and it was all within an hour and a half to two hours drive of home. But of course, with Zoom then the world's your oyster. And it meant that um, camera clubs and organizations around the world could get, you know, new and different speakers. um, And, uh, and I could get to new audiences, which was, which was fabulous. And it, and it really worked very, very well indeed. And I think I did. Came into a real prominence uh, during the uh, pandemic, like just everybody and their uncle just took to that software. Yeah, and and I got in quite early, so I was in with 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 quite a few people, and I think I did over that sort of two year period, two hundred and twenty five, two hundred and thirty talks. Oh wow! Um, during that time, um, and of course, most of it was to new audiences, um, and you know, from that, what I found is that I've picked up now new business, new customers um, that wouldn't otherwise have heard of me. And um, it's been great to meet them and welcome them on some of my workshops and tours. So, you know, that's been uh, that's been the positive side for me. That's amazing. Uh, so we're we get right into the conversation. Uh, I'm here with Chris Upton, uh, welcoming you back to to the show. We had you on uh, back in uh, God early. It was August, August 2020. It was almost three years ago. Yeah, it was crazy. And and God, the world has changed since then. (laughs) It feels like it's been longer in some ways. Uh, Just time is catching up with us and and history is on a roller coaster ride. But it is great to have you back on. Uh, I got to say, your landscape photography still to this day is some of the uh, best that I've seen. It's very inspirational. And you were one of the original individuals that inspired me to go into the X-Series camera lines. Uh, you, Kevin Mullins, the the original X-Photographers, now actually X-X-Photographers. Yeah. Um, I, I get your your time as a Fuji ambassador. Uh, now that it's uh, come to a close, I got to ask you: 
let's start with this first. Are you still using Fuji gear in your landscape work? Yes, yes, I am. Yes, I am. So, yeah, for me, the the whole Fuji thing was, um, I mean, we knew about it um, over a year ago. So yeah. we, were, we were given plenty of notice. And um, but surprisingly, I mean, look, I, I'd been an ambassador for nine, nearly nine years. So, you know, it was no great surprise that at some stage um, they were going to call time on it. Right. Um, it's just that it, it, ha- it, you know, it didn't happen in quite the way I thought it would because they canceled the program for everybody. So all 16 or 17 of us across all the different photographic genres, you know, in the UK, we all went. And obviously there'd been a few changes that had happened in the two or three years previously in the States yep. with their program, uh, which did sound quite quite complicated, actually. Um, never really quite understood how that worked or, in fact, how it was how it was working. But anyway, for whatever reason, uh, they decided that they'd call time for everybody um so the first thing is you know i have no issue with that um yes i'm disappointed um but i can fully understand it and probably expected that it might have happened one or two years earlier if i'm totally honest with you and if it was me then i might have wanted to have a bit more churn and change it's just that it was a surprise i guess that everybody was changed at the same time or removed at the same time um and i mean what their plans are I don't know. Um, certainly, they haven't replaced sixteen or seventeen of us. Um, there's a few that, are, that that seem to have been added, but nowhere near what they had before. And I guess yeah. the interesting thing is that that doesn't seem to have been replicated in other markets um, around the world. When I look at the Fujifilm X um, photographer lists, you know, there's there's plenty in 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 Europe and Japan and US. So I, I don't quite know what the what the strategy was, and I'm sure they've got very good reasons for doing it. But yeah, hey, you know, I had nine great years. It was great for me. I, I think on the basis that I was there for nine years, it meant that I was pretty good for them as well. Um, and so it was a it was a great relationship. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Uh, it was a good time. But all these things come to an end. We parted. We're on good company. Um, you know, I'm still running a workshop for them, a landscape workshop in July, I think it is. Um, there may well be other bits and pieces that crop up along the way. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So, you know, that, that's it. And, and yes, to answer your first question, yeah, so I've got an X-T5. Um, nice. I've still got the arsenal of lenses that I had mm-hmm. before. But I'm in the process, really, of thinking about that and maybe consolidating Purely and simply, because what's the point in having all those lenses if you, you know, I could probably exist on three lenses, if I'm honest, you know, the 10 to 24. Um, I use the 16 to 55 2.8. Um, I've got the 50 to 140 2.8, which is a stellar lens. But I also bought the 70 to 300. I love is, that lens. Yeah, that it's got it's lens. smaller, it's lighter, it's got longer reach, not quite as fast, um, but it's so sharp. And obviously, one of the one of the things that you have to think about now is, you know, if you're shooting with the new 40 megapixel sensor, you've got to be careful which lenses that you use. Yep. Um, and also, you know, your technique has got to be spot on as well, because it will show up any shortcomings in, in technique. And I'm having quite a few people contact me and say, you know, I, I've swapped from the X-T3 or 4 to the 5 uh, or from a different system into Fuji. And I'm not getting sharp pictures, 
you know, can, can you help? Um, and I think that's partly because all of a sudden, maybe a bit of sh- a few shortcomings in their technique have been really shown up in the image quality. So, now, what do you um, how, expand on that a little bit more? Like the the technique, be what would what would uh, create that discrepancy uh, in 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 somebody's shooting style uh, and not get sharp images? Yeah, well, I guess I guess you know if you're working with less megapixels, then you can probably get away with hand holding, and if things aren't absolutely tack sharp. Yep. depending on what you're using it for if it's on social media and it's only used quite small it will still look sharp yeah but if you're shooting at 40 megapixels and it's not quite sharp it will show up interesting okay that that's so good. so yeah you know it's things like shutter speeds obviously quite important and I know lenses have got image stabilization but I I've had three or four people contact me actually fairly well in the last week um and they and they want two of them have sent me pictures, and of course I can see what the um, what the shutter speeds were, and the shutter speeds were basically just too slow. And, yeah. and I know that we've got image stabilization, um, but it depends what lens you're using. So if you're using the sixteen to fifty five, that hasn't. But of course the XT five body has. Question is, have they got it switched on or not? Right. So that's one of the things. Um, there's also something else on, um, uh, on, on using the X-T5, uh, with, and the four with image stabilization. And I guess therefore the X-H2 and X-H2S where it says that if you use a tripod, you no longer need to remember to switch off the image stabilization because the camera will do it for you. It knows that you're on a tripod. Oh, good. That's uh, yeah, that's the theory. And that's what it says. But I can tell you from experience that I, if you're probably doing that and shooting at a fifth or a sixth of a second, that's fine. It might know that. But if you're intentionally doing long exposures of 30 seconds, a minute, two minutes, four minutes, then I can tell you, you'll get blurred images. So you do have to switch your image stabilization off when you're doing, you know, long, longer exposures. Oh, that's um, good to know, actually. On those cameras. Um, I, I've... uh I've actually been leaving it on uh, yeah, well, that it goes off automatically. Um, but all right, that's that, that <laughs> you've helped me out tremendously there. <laughs> yeah. I think, I think when you're doing things like long exposures, the best thing to do is just err on the side of caution Yes, and just switch it off. Don't leave it because, you know, if you're sitting there for two minutes, four minutes waiting for a long exposure and at the end of it, it's not sharp. It's quite frustrating. So I think just getting that technique right and, uh, and, 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 you know, if you're shooting through a 10 stop filter, just, you know, maybe get that focus right first uh, yes. and then put it into manual focus. So it's not having to hunt. Um, that's another technique which can help with, uh, with getting your images sharp. But yeah, I think just generally, um, I mean, I think the Fuji engineers have done a tremendous job, you know, cramming 40 megapixels into an APS-C size sensor. And I think I, Think, think I'm right in saying that the equivalent pixel density on a full frame sensor would be 90 megapixels. Oh, so, wow. Yeah. So, it, it, you know, you can see that there's a huge amount. And if I'm honest with you, I think overall, yes, the the uh, 40 megapixel sensor uh, delivers uh, more detail. But what I have found is that it's slightly more noisy. 
Um, you know, it's it's not massive. And, and obviously now we've got fantastic advances with things like um, software from either Topaz or from now Adobe Lightroom with, yep. with their denoise, which is just brilliant. So I don't think it would make a massive difference, but it's just, I guess that's just one of the downsides of having, you know, 40 megapixels. Um, and so, yeah, that's a question that I get a lot. Should I upgrade? Should I go to 40 megapixels? Um, and I guess the answer is, well, what do you do with your pictures? You know, how big do you print them? Um, or do you shoot things like sport or nature where sometimes the lens that you've got is not long enough and you need to crop in? Yeah. So if you're cropping in, then yes, definitely. Um, if you're shooting big, i.e. bigger than A2, then yes, it would help. Um, but yeah, I mean, otherwise it's just a choice. You know, if you want the latest and greatest, yes. But, you know, I think for... For many people, the 26 megapixels, you know, is um, is fine. I mean, I I remember when I did my um, my Thorsby Colliery um, social documentary project. I mean, I shot all of that on the XT1, so 16 megapixels, and made A2 prints from it. Yeah, you know, and they're absolutely pin sharp. And so, you know, I think that it's not always about the equipment. I think you know, if you want to spend some money, then perhaps think about getting better lenses. Um, you know, and, and learn to learn to understand the camera that you've got. You know, one of the things that I find a lot on my workshops is that people come along and what I always say to them is that, look, photography splits into two parts. There's the technical side and the creative side. And the technical side is all the generic stuff about the exposure triangle and all of that. But it's also about learning about your camera. So, you know, how, um, where, where's your um, exposure compensation? How do you change that? Sounds quite simple, but you, you know, believe me, it's not, a lot of people struggle. You know, where's the, where's the self timer? How do you auto expose bracket? How do you focus stack? You know, all these things, exposure compensation and showing the histogram. I mean, so many people I see, you know, by default, the histogram doesn't show on the Fuji uh, LCD screen or in the viewfinder. So you have to go and select it. Now, for me as a landscape photographer, you know, there is never one picture that I take that doesn't have some exposure compensation, which is driven by where the histogram is. Yeah. So I have to look at the histogram first and then tweak it using exposure compensation. So that's an integral part of my shooting. It's just like, you know, falling off a log. I just just do it. But for a lot of people, they, they don't do that. And what's what's more is they don't know where it is or how to do it. So, but the thing is that if you can get to grips with all of that, then if you know all about those things, then you can concentrate on the composition. You can concentrate on all the sorts of things that the camera can't do for you. Um, and that, that for me is the bit that makes us different because, you know, let's face it, that there are no bad cameras these days and you could put all these cameras into program mode and 80% of the time, you're going to get a great picture. Yeah. So technically, in some ways, there's not too much to think about. It's just that when you put yourself into challenging situations where the light, the dynamic range, so at sunrise, sunset, um, those sort of times, or if you're dealing with a predominantly dark image or a, a, a or view or a light view, what, has, what is that going to do to your exposure? Um, you know, 
if you've not got that, it's it's fairly straightforward. But obviously, there are times when you do need to understand it. And it's always better. I mean, the goal for me, the the holy grail is is to be able to shoot fully manual and understand what you're doing. And of course, the histogram really helps with that. And, you know, what I teach on my workshops is there are two modes of shooting for me. One is quite considered landscape images, which are shot largely, well, 99% of the time on the tripod. Yep. Um, And then there's other images, which is largely a lot of travel, you know, during the day, walking around and held. Um, And so how do we get good quality images, not talking of composition, but technically good quality images in, in both those scenarios. And there's two like streams of workflow to be able to, to be able to get that, which I, which I talk about and teach to the, to my clients. You bring up a great point by uh, knowing your camera. I, I think that is often overlooked in, in that, you know, people will get the camera, just pop in the battery, turn it on. You have your, you, you know, I, ISO, aperture shutter all there right in front of you You, you, pretty straightforward but the other nuances like turning off the uh stabilizer like you mentioned histogram location uh all of that is great tutorial information that i think anybody could get uh benefit from even a refresher for those that are seasoned like for example, what I used for wedding photography, uh, as far as the the tools in the camera, the the locations of items in the menu, completely different than what I would use for landscape photography. And so, uh, I would probably benefit from uh, one of your workshops to uh, get a better idea of what I would need as far as um, uh, the, the the best things to bring myself uh in a better in a better light no pun intended uh to uh take better landscape photos so that's very interesting and the fact that you have a brand new uh line of way of teaching classes with zoom that gives you a more intimate uh more uh, one-to-one uh connection with your audience so that you can see into what what they're doing uh how to best set your camera i think that's really interesting yeah um i mean one of my most successful most popular should i say uh sort of workshops is is um for people that are remote is a two-hour zoom session on fuji cameras so just how to set up your xt series whether it be a three four or five um and what what we do is um uh, I mean, basically, if I do a one-to-one, I do a four-hour session. Um, yeah. And 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 what we do is we spend about two to two and a half hours and we go through the camera from start to finish and we go around all the buttons and the dials and what are they for and how do they work? And then we go through all of the menus. And what we do is we end up where we, we go through and I talk through exactly what all these menu items are and how relevant are they to the sort of photography that the client shoots. And then what we can then do, we finish up where we'll pre-program certain of the buttons and the dials for shortcuts to get them straight into these uh, various aspects, which just help them with the shooting uh, workflow. And, you know, it 
everybody says, you know, well, I've got the I've got the instruction book, but I can't read it. And it's just so difficult. And it's like, you know, you don't know what you don't know. So to have somebody go through all that with you. And I wondered how it might work. And it started in COVID, really. But, you know, it, it actually works pretty well. And we do it on Zoom and it's two hours. And, you know, I've done loads. And of course, when a new camera comes out, like the X-T5, lots of people have probably swapped from different systems. And it's interesting because, you know, a lot of them will say if they've been with Canon or Nikon or Sony, whatever, for a number of years, and then they, they buy they, they buy a Fuji, they'll say, oh, it's so difficult to get to grips with and the menus, I can't. And yet, you know, you talk to any long-term Fuji user and they'll wax lyrical about how easy and intuitive. And I have to say that for me, one of the most enjoyable things about the Fuji system is the fact that it is just so intuitive and user-friendly to use. I mean, everything on the XT series is on the top plate. Yeah. You know, you can't get much simpler than that. And everything that you need is there at the touch of a button. And if you do need a shortcut, we could sort that out. So when we've gone through that session, I can see that, you know, the sort of mists have lifted and they're smiling, you know, no longer is it all confusing. Yeah. I think <laughs> in some ways that, that intuitiveness for, for me personally, uh, it, it, uh, it gives me a, a, a sense of uh, what's the best way to put it. it it's relaxed me too much. I, I forget where other things are in the menu system. Like, always remember where uh the 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 photometry for for example uh yeah. i i changed why don't why don't fuji just call that metering yeah why don't they call it photometry i mean it's crazy isn't it why don't you just make it easy call it metering yeah or or like the turning off the the left eye, left eye priority uh focusing uh, things like that yeah. i'll go through I'll, I'll run past it several times uh yeah because there are certain things that are removed from the quick start menu uh, and yeah i think the thing is that 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 the, these cameras are little computers aren't they it doesn't matter which camera make you using they're all the same and it's like anything you know it's like a car that you buy it's like a tv it's like anything there are loads and loads of features in there which they put in to sell them and you know they do a very good job but actually you don't need all of that. And yeah. it's a question of just understanding, well, what do I need and what don't I need? And do I really understand those bits that I need and where are they? How do I get to them? You know, and a lot of it is that for many people, um, they don't use the camera that frequently. You know, I have people come on the workshops and things and they might not have touched the camera for, you know, two, three, four weeks. Um, and therefore they're always a bit rusty but by the time we've done a couple of shoots at the beginning and the end of the day, and you've gone through things with them and they've got it, then they're away. And then, you know, for the next two or three days, they're absolutely sailing because, um, because they've learned things and because we're doing it all the time, it's ingrained um, and it's so much more easy, but you know, we all live busy lives and we've got families and jobs and things, many people. So, you know, it's difficult to fit in, that time for the photography and um yeah i mean but as i say a little bit of work and a little bit of um uh homework if you like and uh, research can and, and practice can really really help 
Um, I mean, I, I, I even took it to the extent of the beginning of this year, sending a note out to all my workshop clients that were coming on workshops with me to say that, hey, you know, in all my experience on workshops, people, we spend a lot of time going through these four or five key things that we will use a lot. So if you can come to the workshop with some knowledge of this, or at least where it is in your book, where it is in your camera, then that will save us time. Because the more time we spend messing around with menus and and, and fiddling around means that we've got less time to be taking pictures. Yeah. Um, and some people, you know, it's funny, some people read it. I get the impression that some just just don't, or they might read it, but but don't do much with it. So yeah, but it's 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 there, and uh, it's just my way really to say, look, you know, if we can save some time, it will help. Yep. I, I'm curious uh, with everybody in your workshop, what what do you find is the most popular Fuji camera? Uh, do, is there? Uh, well, um, yeah, my, my workshops are non camera brand specific. Even you know when I was an ambassador, it wasn't just Fuji, unless it was. You know, we're doing a session on a Fuji camera, and that's what I was talking about. Like, right? Okay. Specifically, um, I would say I would say that the XT3, four, and now the five really would be. See, I don't I mean obviously as a travel photographer, I do some street photography, but you know, in no way am I a street photographer. And if you asked a street photographer, they'd probably say the X Pro or the XE series. Yeah. Um, but for me then it's the the xt really that's been the most popular that's awesome yeah. Yeah. um ever so going back to covid um and uh, where you were uh, back then uh, a few years ago um and compared to now uh how has your journey been with the fuji film film system uh how the system has grown how has it helped you or changed you in your photography uh what has the evolution of fujifilm's camera how how has that uh affected your uh photography okay well i guess around the launch of the X-T4, that must have been around the start of, of, of COVID, something like that. It must have been 2020, I guess. Um, so I wouldn't say that, that COVID has really had an impact on any any particular decisions of, of, of gear and whatever. I mean, in terms of buying gear, I mean, it, I think it's important to... Uh, not think that buying a new camera is going to be the answer. It's going to make you a better photographer. It's a question of saying, right, what sort of images do I shoot? And therefore, what is the best camera to use? Right. Um, and so I had the X-T3. And the only reason that I upgraded to the X-T4 was the fact that I my workhorse lens is probably the 16 to 55, 2.8, which doesn't have image stabilization. So when the X-T4 came along with image stabilization, that's the reason that I bought that, uh, that camera. But there was a downside to that, and, and that was purely and simply the screen on mm -hmm. the back of the camera because it moved from being the three-way tilt yeah. to the multi-angle flip round for video. Now, as I sh don't shoot video, 
then that was a bit of a waste and it gets in the way. You know, if you use an L bracket like I do for landscapes on, on my camera, then then the screen then just gets in the way and it's a nuisance. Um, so the fact that they've reverted with the X-T5, and I think there's so many good things about the X-T5, um, but one of the one of the big things for me, apart from the 40 megapixels, would be the fact that we've got, you know, the sensible X-T3 type screen back again. Um, now, I appreciate that, that that sort of crystallizes opinion and there'll be, for every one person that says that, there'll be another one that says the opposite, but... I can only speak as I as I find it, and and so really that's the only reason that I traded up from the three to the four, and then ultimately you know the four to the five um, because one I wanted to get rid of the screen, and two yeah. I felt that obviously we'd get more detail and I would be able to um, you know crop in a little bit with a forty megapixel sensor. Have you played around with any with the GFX system? That seems like. It would be a yeah. big uh, landscape photography uh, addition. Mm. Yes, I have, Mark. I've, I mean, I've, I've shot with all of them. So I've, I've had them on loan from Fujifilm, the fifty, the one hundred. Um, I mean, incredible cameras they really are, and particularly the one hundred. I mean, the image quality on that is is just incredible. Um, and I, I tried them. And obviously my photography is not just landscape, it's landscape and travel. Yeah. So on the on the one hand, for me, and it's one of those things, this is where you've got to be very careful, because I get lots of questions from people. What do you recommend? What should I get? And that is such a difficult question because, you know, everybody has different reasons for buying. You know, it might be I want the best image quality. It might be I want the smallest, lightest possible. It might be um, I want a camera that's got the best um, lens lineup. It might be I'm working to a budget. So it's really important to determine what's important to you. What are the most important factors? Then you can start to make your decisions. So the GFX, I mean, on the one hand, the image quality is fabulous. The intuitive nature of the cameras is the same as the X-Series. They're not much bigger than something like a Nikon D850. So, you know, um, you know, that they're not massive, uh, you know, old fashioned type medium format cameras, um, but they are bigger and they are heavier. They're more bulky than the XT series. Yeah. And again, it really, I think, boils down to, you know, what do you want? What do you want from your camera? What sort of image quality do you want? And, you know, do you have a need for a hundred megapixel sensor file? Um, I mean, what, one of the things that, that there's another factor, well, there's a couple of things that, so there's loads of positives with the GFX, image quality, stellar, you know, and you might think, we'll just go to that. But as I say, size and weight were an issue for me because of lugging stuff around a city and, you know, when it's warm, it's, it's not, it's not, not great. Um, you do have to be careful with your technique, exactly as I was talking about with the X-T5. You know, if you've got a 100 megapixel sensor, you've got to make sure that you've got no camera shape whatsoever. Yes. So um, so that's really, really important. Um, and I think one of the other things for me would be that the lens lineup um, didn't give me what I like at the long end. So I love shooting in the landscape and the urban landscape using a long lens so you can pick out detail 
more yes. compressed perspective. So therefore, I'm using the 50 to 140 or the 70 to 300, um, you know, a lot. Now, the longest lens that that we got with um, with uh, the GFX at the time was the 100, is it 100 to 200, which effectively goes to like 150. Yeah, I, I don't uh, remember. Yeah, anyway, so it, what I'm really saying is, there isn't a lens that gets you beyond about 150 mil. So you can't yeah. go between 150 and, and 300 mil. Yes, I think there's the teleconverter you could use, but, you know, I just, I just found that for me, it was, it was the, you know, the lenses weren't there at the long end. <laughs> and the other thing as well that I found when I, when I used it was that where it was a bit unforgiving and it's interesting because with this, uh, with this, the XT series uh, or the X series um, has a benefit over full frame, and that is the the conundrum of depth of field. So you know, at any given aperture, you now if we if we choose f eleven and say, well, on a on a, a full frame camera, you shoot f eleven for landscapes to try and get most things sharp front to yep. back, you know. <clears throat> Um, unless you've got anything super close to the front of the, of the lens, normally f11 is probably a start point. What that means is that you can get that same depth of field on um, on 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 a, a APS-C crop sensor by using f8. If you're shooting with micro four thirds, you can probably get away with f6.3. Um, but if you're shooting, it goes the other way when you get to GFX. And I got caught out because I was, when I first tested it, I'm shooting at F11. And when I got the camera, uh, the pictures back up on my screen, I, I found that they were not sharp, not sharp in the foreground. The, the, the depth of field wasn't sufficient. Yeah. And so effectively you have to shoot at F16. So that becomes almost like the default aperture for the GFX. And of course, if you're shooting one stop slower than than you would be with full frame you've then got to consider subject movement with blowing leaves or foliage or whatever yep and what i found was that even sometimes when i was using f16 i couldn't get everything sharp from front to back even though i didn't have foreground that was especially close to the front of the lens um and so what that resulted uh, was was me doing some focus stacking which works but if you're trying to stack together seven images of 100 megapixels, then that can take some processing power and take some time. Um, and so that was also a factor in my decision just to stick with the uh, the XT series. Do you find the the GFX with the let's just say the the 50 megapixel GFX cameras? Compared to the forty megapixels XT5, that well, I suppose I'm answering my own question here because you you clearly stuck with the <laughs> with, with the X series over the GFX. So the that brings you. Do you feel that brings you close enough to the image quality of the medium format with, with the forty megapixels? Well, again, really, it it depends, doesn't it, what you do with your images? Um, and I can print to A2 off a 26 megapixel sensor and get some great images. I mean, you know, if you think about the normal viewing distance of a print, 
You know, it's not an issue to print yeah. A2 from, well, as I say, I, I, I used the X-T1 on my Thorsby Colliery project and printed to A2. And, you know, the pictures are great. So sometimes I think we can get carried away. There are some benefits of having more megapixels for sure. Um, <clears throat> but sometimes it feels like it's just a race. Um you know, and there's not always, uh, you know, th- th- there's sometimes some other factors to consider within that sort of uh, question. And of course, you know, it will vary from person to person. You probably will probably have people listening who think, no, the GFX is, is you know, the absolute best camera that I've ever had. And I'm really delighted with it. And they, so that's brilliant. Yeah. You know, but we all have individual needs and preferences. And as I say, for me, one of them was just size and, and weight. And I just feel that if you're going to go GFX, you should go 100 because I'm not sure that there's a significant difference between 50 megapixel and full frame now. You know, if you went to a Nikon or a Leica or a, you know, Canon sensor that's 40 plus megapixels, um, I'm not sure you'd see on a print for sure a massive difference between the two, but you might do at 100 megapixels. Yeah. with such a, a a long awesome career using the the fuji cameras what has been some of your favorite features that that came out of the evolution of the fujifilm camera system and what would you like to see improved that hasn't been addressed uh in, in the fujifilm evolution okay okay uh right okay um, <laughs> Well, I, I think I, it's one of those is very easy to answer. And that is what what you're looking for when you're shooting is to be able to make changes to get the exposure right as quickly as possible and know what you're doing. So, so for me, um, I think I mentioned earlier on that one of my most used features is the exposure compensation dial. Yeah. So on most cameras, you'll have that dial and it's got plus and minus three stops. And usually you have to take your eye away from the camera and you've got to manually turn that dial to plus one stop. And then you have a look through the camera again and see that that histogram is, well, it's okay, but that histogram could shift over to the right a bit more and get some more file quality detail in that. So you now want to open it up one and a third stop. So now you have to move the camera away from your eye, turn it to one and a third stop, and then go back again. Um, And then it's fine. You take the picture. But I think one of my favorite features on many Fujifilm cameras for now for some years has been on the exposure compensation dial. There's the C for custom. And if you turn that dial to C, you can now use the front command dial just to slide it backwards and forwards and your exposure goes up and down, a live exposure. So I think just generally... You know, be, you know, with mirrorless, it's what you see is what you get. So you make a change and, it, and the picture goes lighter or darker. But that exposure compensation dial now means that you can hold the camera to your eye and just move that front front dial um, and just get the exposure spot on, take the picture without moving your camera away from the, you know, your eye away from the camera. And doing that uh, with the newer cameras now, uh, you get more uh more of a range it goes from three to five doesn't it it goes to five it does it does indeed yeah goes to five stops which is um which is really really good i think the other thing is the um focus bracketing um is really good 
Um, and when that came in, it was it was basically just like a manual thing. And I know it, it can be quite confusing with things like the, what is a step and the number yep. of steps that you set, et cetera. But effectively, there was the manual setting where you could just choose. And all I used to do was set a maximum of 20 because for landscapes, you're never going to shoot anywhere near 20. Um, and as long as, you know, it goes from front to back, it'll probably take about eight or nine pictures generally. And what it means, of course, is if you are focus bracketing, you can use the sweet spot of the lens. So instead of shooting at f11, you can shoot at f8 as long as there's no subject movement or you know very little subject movement. Um, and then you can just shoot at the sweet spot, f5.6 or f8. And then, then the camera then would just shoot all the way through from the foreground to the background. Well, that that's great, but let's assume that you're photographing flowers. And actually what you want is the foreground petals and the background petals of that particular flower sharp, yep. but the rest of the garden, you don't want sharp. So obviously that focus bracketing will give you everything sharp, but you don't want that. You want selective. So the upgrade to the system where you can now select the start point and the end point is brilliant. And, you know, a lot of other um, full frame, you know, reputable, really good cameras don't have that feature. And so I, I find that, you know, Fuji have done a, a, a great job with things like this and probably don't get the credit that, that they deserve. And it's just one of those other things that makes Fujifilm cameras really good to use. Um, That's you know, really cool. I did not know it could do that. I, I haven't played with the focus. Yeah, it came, came in on the X-T4, I think it was. Awesome. I have some uh, important lessons I need to do today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, what was what are some of the things that uh, the the little bit tougher question? Um, what in the X series Fujifilm world would you like to still see improved, or or yeah. Fujifilm hasn't addressed just yet? I think one of the best features, which wasn't on the older uh, models of, of of Fuji cameras, is remember I I said that. For my shooting, there's like two styles. There's tripod-based and then yeah. there's then there's handheld. So the ability to be, I mean, I always remember on my old um my old Canon DSLR, I used to be able to have a, a user one and user two preference setting or a custom one, custom two. And where you could set that camera to shoot landscapes with all the settings, the ISO, you know, mirror lock, all of that sort of stuff, you could just set and then save those settings. And then on user two, you could have handheld faster shutter speed or using auto ISO um, and save that. So you could literally just turn it from C1, custom one to custom two, and you could just flick out of landscape shooting into um, in, into uh, handheld shooting. Yep. Um, and, and it was so quick to be able to do that rather than have to go through all the process of, of changing each and every one of those individual items and remembering and then finding you've forgotten one. So I think for me, you know, that's, that's a very good feature. Um, so I know it wasn't there on, on, on the earlier um, models. Um, but yeah, so I think that's one of the big things. Another thing that actually where Fuji very good is that one of the things I like doing, particularly if I'm doing, like more fine art type images, you know, bits of detail 
and um, just just I, I've just come back from running a workshop in Santorini, and that's brilliant for doing quite graphic, minimalist type pictures. Yeah. Um, and and I often shoot those as square images. So you know you might think, well, okay, I'll I'll take a three to two aspect ratio image and then crop it down, but it's much better to select a square crop in the viewfinder so that you can compose absolutely accurately and take that picture. And one of the areas where Fuji scores against uh, the competitors, some competitors, not all of them, is that what you have to do to get that square crop, I only shoot raw, but what you have to do to get that is select raw and JPEG. Yep. And then that allows you to select a different aspect ratio. And if you choose one-to-one square, you get a square viewfinder. But you, when you press the button, you get two images. One is a JPEG, which the square image is baked in. That's it. Yep. <clears throat> and the other one is a, obviously a RAW. Um, and when you open it in Lightroom, it opens up as a square image. But actually, when you go to the crop tool, you'll see that around the square image, there's just the dots, but you've still got the full three to two image there. So yeah. you can then either go to five by four or back to three to two or do whatever you want to do, which is great. That is not the case with some other, again, fairly big brands. They'll, they'll whether you're shooting raw or JPEG, they bake it in. So you've then got a bit of a faff because what, what I would do in those situations is I would select that square crop um, and if it was tripod, it'd be on the tripod. I'd select square crop and then deselect that, go back to three to two and take the picture. Because I know then that I've got a base image that I can crop from that picture, yep. but it still gives me the flexibility to change my mind later if I wanted to. Interesting. Moving forward now, I would imagine that uh, you're going to continue using Fujifilm. I, I don't see that as a issue, but has any other camera company approached you to say, you know, Hey, come, come try us out for, uh, have you had, uh, any quote unquote temptations from the dark side? So to speak. Um, no, no, I haven't. If anyone's listening, um, <laughs> I know this is booty love. No, seriously. No, no, they haven't. Um, and I'm curious. And, and if you, there's you any... know what? I almost, I almost feel like, um, I've done that. And, you know, I've been quite happy with Fujifilm. You know, the reasons that I originally went into Fujifilm and then ultimately stayed there for, I mean, my first Fujifilm camera I bought in 2013, so 10 years now. Um, and the reason that I've stayed there, that all those reasons still remain. You know, yeah. um, I think other cameras, I mean, it is interesting because, of course, you know, you I am free to choose now and, and do what I want. And there is, if I'm honest with you, there's a bit of a feeling. It's a bit like having a car for nine or 10 years. You know, you almost feel like, well, I fancy a change for a change sake. Yep. Um, and obviously on my workshops, I see all different cameras. And I think the bottom line is, as I said before, there are no bad cameras and they'll all have pros and cons with them. You know, yeah. some, th- some of them will be better in certain areas than Fuji and Fuji will be better than those in other areas. So it's a question of, well, you know, there is no perfect camera, um, but what's the best fit for you? Um, and and so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, yeah, I'm free to choose now. Let's, let's just say that mm-hmm. I can, I can do what I want. And 
you know, um, but but I've still got all the Fuji gear and I still use it. And um, yeah, it's um, it's good. Very cool. And <clears throat> going back to your travel, now that uh, COVID has lifted all travel and the, the, the world is once again, quote unquote, safe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, what has uh, that time, uh, you know, you know, how, how have you taken advantage of that? Like where, where are some of the, where was the first place you went to when you could travel again? Cause I would imagine you went to your favorite place uh, first. Yeah. Well, just bear in mind with all the overseas workshops, there's quite a lead time. So some yeah. of this was planned out. Um, and I think what's happened is that as, so, well, let me answer that bit first, then I'll, then I'll mention something else. So the first, I always remember, I went to, did a workshop in Venice in the November of 2021. Yep. And this was at a time when, fortunately, you didn't have to do a test when you were abroad before you came back into the UK. Yep. Because obviously, if you'd been found to be positive, you'd then have to quarantine there at your expense, and that would have been a nightmare. Um, so that wasn't there, but what was there was the requirement to wear a mask and basically wear a mask at all times, both inside and outside. So I remember running this workshop in November where basically the only time that you could remove your mask was when you were in your hotel bedroom or when you were in a restaurant and eating. Um, now to be fair, when we were in some of the quieter spots around Venice. And obviously at that time, I mean, it was amazing because there was hardly anybody there. Yeah. So it, it was great. And, and there was, there was a benefit to it, but when you're around St. Mark square, you did have to use and when you're on the water buses, etc., you had to wear your mask. Um, and of course, when like me, you wear glasses and you've got a mask on and it's November and it's cold, then it was a bit of a nightmare because the glasses yeah. kept fogging up, etc. But when we were in some of the quieter spots, we sort of took the mask down and we, you know, we were fine. So that was a bit of a pain. And the and, and the group, you know, none of them complained and we just got on with it. And I think they really enjoyed it and it was great to be able to travel. But I think it was 2022 when things really sort of opened up again. And I think that was probably one of my one of my most successful um, years so far, really. And I think what we've done now, we've entered a new phase of travel. Because everyone's been cooped up for so long, I don't know what it's like in the states. And I, I just also not too far, too long ago, I was in April. I came back from Cinque Terre, and there's lots of Americans in Cinque. There are always lots of uh, Americans in Cinque Terre, and um, uh, and and I think what's happened now is that people just want to travel. Yeah. So it's almost like the lid's been let off, and there's this huge demand. So what's happened is that everywhere is really busy. So everywhere is busy. And because of that, hotel prices have shot up. Um, air flights have shot up. And that's been exacerbated because of the economic situation as well. So, you know, it's been actually, in some respects, quite tough because costs have gone up. Um, you have to sort of obviously pass some or all of that on. Um, and everywhere is busy. And of course, mostly I don't want things to be busy. I'm not a street photographer. So, you know, you might want the odd person in your picture, but you don't want legions. Right. Um, 
So, yeah, um, we've had to be a bit creative on a few workshops. We've gone out early, um, come back, had a break, done some other stuff and then gone out again. But, yeah, it's um, I think I think things have changed quite a bit. And um, now whether the economic situation will start to bite and people will, um, you know, will think twice as we sort of move forward. Um, you know, I, I, I don't know, but, um, I remember in January this year and in January, I went to Venice twice and I went again in February, but in, in January, the hotel manager said to me that the hotel was 80% full in January. Wow. I mean, that, that's just amazing. And I, I went because I, I now do a workshop with a colleague, um, Brian Lloyd Duckett, who was also a Fujifilm ambassador in the UK is a wonderful street photographer. And so we got together to, to run a street and landscape stroke travel workshop where what we do is we have a group um, of eight or 10 people and we split them into two. And one day Brian takes uh, four or five of them off. I take the other five. Next day we swap over. And then the next two days we do the same thing again. And we've run Three of those now in in Venice, and we've run uh, run them in Lisbon as well, and nice. they've been really really successful. That concept of a mix of street and travel stroke landscape has has worked really really well. Um, and we we operate under the Travel Snappers uh, mm-hmm. name, so I'll probably repeat that at the end when we talk about things that are happening. But mm-hmm. yeah, so it's 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 great, really really good, and um, feedback has been brilliant. Um, but of course, you know, Brian as a street photographer, he wants some people. So we've had yeah. to sort of be quite creative. We've had to sort of go at the cusp of um of either the beginning or the end of the Venice Carnival. Um, but this year we had to go when it was sort of more in the mainstream time. And boy, it was so busy. Oh my goodness me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I think I it totally was imagined. Yeah. I mean, it was just like you walk down the, 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 the some of the main streets and if you're coming in from a side street, it was just like a tide. And you were trying to sort of wait for a moment to be able to step into the flow. I mean, it was just just crazy. I mean, fortunately, from my perspective, I know lots of locations that are tucked away and really nice and well away from the from the throng. But, um, yeah, it was um, yeah, it was. <laughs> It was not easy and not not that enjoyable, if I'm honest. Um, so yeah, but but the I whole know. concept has been really good and it's worked really well. That's incredible. That's awesome. Um, I hope to be able to do that one day. Yeah, be good. <clears throat> um, so with that, uh, my goodness, I, I could keep talking to you uh, on and on, uh, uh, but let, let's. Uh, Finish with uh, what? What is twenty twenty three looking like for you? Uh, do you have any uh, projects that you want to promote? Uh... Yeah. Well, thank you. Um, yeah, twenty twenty three has been really busy to start with. So, as I say, I was I was in Venice three times in the first six seven weeks of the year, um, and then after that, I've uh, I've been to Cinque Terre, I've been to Santorini. I'm off to Italy again, Lake Como and Bergamo next nice. week. Um, and then I'm off to the Dolomites in September. And that's an interesting one because what I found is that uh, COVID really 
I guess made me think about what what I'm doing and I enjoy teaching. I mean, I, I think if you enjoy your photography and you enjoy teaching, the two work quite well together. You couldn't do workshops and tours if you didn't like the teaching, if you were just yeah. thinking, well, it's a way to earn some money, but I'm not really into it. And, I'm, you know, you might not be a good organiser or planner. It's just not going to work. Um, and what I find when I go is that I think, you know, I get good feedback and I get very good repeat business because when we're away, my focus is is on the group. You know, I'm not one of these people that's there to take my own pictures Sure, I'll go a few days early or I might stay on a few days afterwards and then I'll do my own pictures. But when I'm with the group, you know, I'm there for them. And yep. so and so I don't get much chance to take my own pictures. So COVID made me think, well, I could add more locations. But if I add more locations, all that's going to do, it's it's basically going to reduce the amount of time that I've got to, to do my own photography to, you know, maybe go to locations like I've never been to the Dolomites before. So this September is the first time I'm going and it's not for a workshop. It's for me. I'm going with a mate. Um, And so I'm really looking forward to that. And I've decided that that's really what I want to do now. So it's that it's getting that balance right between running workshops because I enjoy them. And I could do loads more because, you know, all my clients say, oh, you know, go to New York or go to Cuba or, you know, do do more. Yeah. And I'd love in, on the one hand, I'd love to, but that means that I would have to sacrifice other things. And I think at my stage now, I want to be able to enjoy doing some of my own photography as well. Yep. So so that's important to me. So I'm trying to get that balance right. So that's really what what the sort of future looks like. Um, so I've recently added a couple more locations to the roster, which were planned. Uh, but I'm not going to add any more. So Lisbon is a fabulous location. And I do that with Brian as travel snappers. And I'm doing that on my own. Um, Valencia is another one, which is brilliant. If you like architecture, that's a fabulous location. Um, And so they will sit alongside my other workshops. And then I do sort of landscape workshops in the UK um, as well. And of course, you know, small group and one-to-one tuition as well. So I think with all of that and all the lectures um, and doing sort of ad hoc stuff as well, that's fine because for me, this is a second career. So, you know, you you remember I I retired in 2014, took early retirement. So this is why I'm now looking to get that balance. I enjoy it, but I don't want to go too far. It would be very easy just to add all these locations, more locations to it and fill my time up. But I got to think about, my wife, you know, um, I've got a grandchild coming along soon. Oh, congratulations. And, thank you. And and then I've also got to think about, um, you know, my, my own photography too. So with all of that, I'm quite comfortable having had time to think about it of where I'm sort of getting to at the moment. And um, so, yeah, so that's, that, that's it. So uh, basically for this year, all my workshops are now sold out and I'm just in the process of just about to, I've got um, my Venice workshop in January, the first one sold out. So I think I'm going to add another one to that. And then I'm just about to launch the ones for most of the rest of the year. I'm just waiting for one or two hotels to come back and, and give me prices. So um, if anyone wants to look on my website um, and you're interested in going to one of those locations, then just drop me a note and I'll, I'll let you know as soon as I've got confirmed details. But um, 
you know, my website is www.chrisupton, chrisuptonphotography.com. And uh, you just go to tours and workshops and you'll find out all the information there. Um, so, yeah, new dates. And, of course, I've still got dates to fit in with with Brian for um, for Travel Snappers. And we'd like to expand some of that as well. Brian, Brian Wood, um, it's difficult to fit it in with both our individual schedules, but there might be some other locations coming up there as well. Um, and, of course, there's plenty of Zoom training for the X-T5 and anybody else with a Fujifilm camera, which seems to be, you know, increasing i think they've done a great job and um i don't know what the brand share figures are like but they must have improved you know significantly over the last five years so credit to them right on well chris it's been a pleasure uh enjoy the the rest of your awesome day uh the 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 good weather in uh the uk for today um i'm also on my way to a cookout soon (laughs) So uh, uh, we're we're having a good summer day as well, uh, right. man. We got to do this again. I uh, I, I enjoy uh, our talks, our catch ups, and uh, hope, let's pray the next time we discuss anything, the world won't change as much. <laughs> yep, here here to that one, Mark. Absolutely. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoyed the show, and I hope to see you back next week. I wanted to also mention one more time that this is brought to you by Fuji Love Magazine. For the latest and greatest in all things Fujifilm X-Series and GFX, head on over to fujilove.com. Subscribe today. And my name is Mark Sadowski. You can find me on Instagram or Twitter. Mostly Instagram, though. I'm at Mark Sadowski. That's Mark with a C. And you can also check out my other podcast, Xmark. It's a Fujifilm-esque kind of show, where it's more spice of life and pretty infrequent. But if you want more of my voice, that's the place to check it out. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you soon. Mm-hmm.